Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Susan Sobolo. Susan is the Chief Operating Officer at Kalem Biosciences, a biopharmaceutical executive and a proven R&D leader with a passion for delivering transformative drugs for patients. She has over 23 years of experience across all drug development life cycle in companies ranging from big caps like Pfizer and Novartis all the way to smaller public private biotech companies such as Kalem, Alexion, Fortress Biotech. She is a board member for Children's House, Board of Education for Essex, Connecticut, Founding Connecticut Chapter Chair of Women in Bio, Scientific and Consumer Advisor for the Congressionally DOD Directed Medical Research Programs. She has over 33 patents, 20 publications, and she's an active industry speaker. Susan has a BS in Chemistry from University of Vermont, a professional program in Finance, Leadership, and Global Project from MIT, a PhD in Synthetic Organic Chemistry from Yale University, and a postdoctoral fellowship from Harvard University. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Woman to Woman podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation to come and talk to you. We are excited to have you here with us today. You are based out of Connecticut. So were you always in Connecticut? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? I always feel like working in bioscience in Connecticut, most people are from all over the country and the world, but I happen to grow up in Connecticut, uh, for just an hour north of where I live now. And, um, you know, grew up probably very involved with sports. I was a gymnast um, all throughout my life till college, very involved uh, with lots of sports, three sports all the time. So uh, very active. And because I love gymnastics, my father built me a balance beam for the backyard. So I'd spend a lot of time out in the backyard practicing. So clearly your father was very supportive of your passion. He was, yes. Anyone else who was really instrumental in shaping your life? Certainly my mother. My parents probably took different approaches, but she was the person in charge of driving me everywhere for whatever my interests were. I played the drum, so she took me to drum lessons, and she took me to gymnastic lessons and tennis lessons, and um, she always told me she didn't really like bosses, so she was very happy to be at home and be her own boss. But yeah, my father very much, and um, I would say my one of my grandmothers, one died younger, and I didn't know her as well, but my mother's mother was very much a part of our lives and she owned her own business with her husband. My mother said she learned to cook very early because both her parents would be at the store that they owned working. Um, and I, my grandmother was about four nine and really tough, friendly lady. So I always, you know, learned from her and she loved to laugh. So those were some, you know, great things that I was influenced by with her. What were your plans growing up and what got you really interested? Yeah, you know, I certainly liked school. I don't know if like some people knew they loved science right from the beginning. I liked math, but I think I was very influenced by the teams and being in sports growing up. And uh, so actually my original thought was that I was wanted to be a physical therapist so that I could, you know, sort of continue on uh, with athletics. So I went to uh, undergraduate as a physical therapy major. But uh, when I took chemistry, two things, I, I don't know, I got involved with physical therapy and I wasn't sure if it was going to have the diversity of outlets and interest in growth that I might have wanted. And then when I took chemistry, I really sort of got connected to that and, and viewed it as solving puzzles, especially organic chemistry, who most people tell me how much they don't like organic chemistry. But fortunately for me, I, I took it on and, you know, and saw that in it. And then that 
shifted um, my interest. I became a chemistry major at that point in time. Really, yeah, I think it was really college. I look back, like I said, you know, some people may know very early on, um, but I think, you know, I thought that was what I wanted. And in some ways, I don't know if I knew enough about the opportunities, you know, not that anybody prevented me from any opportunity, but I just grew up in a small town, you know, and at that point, I don't think we saw the diversity of different things one could do. It wasn't until I got to college. So your sons are also in chemistry, right? At least two of them. So how does that feel? Like they chose the same field of study as you when there were like so many other options. Did you have anything to do with that? <laughs> yeah, that's sort of interesting. You know, you wonder genetically, they all like math. One's an engineer and two are in chemistry. Because I was very involved in bringing science to the schools when they were younger, um, and I'm very fortunate. I was at Pfizer at the time, and we had a great program to create these kits that we could then bring in um, to the school system. And so I did that. But we always had fun because I'd bring the kits home first. And I'm like, okay, we have to try these out. So I actually know what the experiment is that I'm bringing to school. So we actually had a lot of fun. My kids, you know, we did a lot of building volcanoes, vinegar, baking soda, extracting the color from purple cabbage, which is actually a pH indicator. And we would do fun things on rainy or snowy days and be like, okay, what are we going to do today? And it'd be like, you know, go gather kitchen items. And uh, they sometimes like to make magic soup to see what they could stir together. Um, so I think we we did do a lot. Um, my husband's family, though, I have to say, his uncles were chemists, his grandfather was a chemist, his father is a geneticist. So there was also a lot of experimentation uh, across the family. They used to like want to soak worms in different things to see which caught the best fish and the most fish. So I have to say they grew up a little bit with that experimental mindset. But their experiments were actually useful experiments. If you did catch fish, you had dinner. <laughs> could be, could be. I definitely learned how to put worms on hooks and take fish off of hooks uh, with them. So, <laughs> With young kids at the time where you were trying to establish your career and also managing three boys, not easy, what really worked for you? And what were a couple of challenges that you had to overcome at the time? Yeah, interesting what I often answer when people ask. You have to be comfortable that there's no such thing as balance. I loved my career when I'm at work. I'm very focused on work, um, but when I'm home, I'm really focused on my kids. And what makes it work is that my husband and I just really agreed on the challenges and how we should go about it. Um, and we also agreed very early on if we were both going to continue with our careers, that we needed to have a nanny, that that made our lives easier and, and also easier for our children. And so that was, uh, we're very fortunate. You know, I think childcare is very expensive and challenging when we did shift to that. And we were also very fortunate to find an amazing retired teacher who was with us for 11 years as a nanny. So it's really that support system. I used to joke my sister-in-law, um, and, you know, she worked nurse 
And we used to joke that we should actually create three person marriages because you really need two people if they're working and then you need that support system uh, to make it work. And I think you can't shy away from asking for help. So those were some of the things that helped to make it successful. Some of the, the challenges, of course, are things we impose upon ourselves and, and having that awareness, the guilt. I had to learn to get over when they wanted things for the PTA and being the class parent, I could always provide something, but I wasn't always going to be the person making the homemade cupcakes. Um, sometimes I did. So I think some of that and also learning to be comfortable that everybody can choose which path that they take. And it took me a while to get there to, cause a lot of times I felt like for the stay at home moms would always be like, so are you gonna give up your career soon and stay at home? And sometimes that felt a little bit like a pressure. And I used to talk about it with my husband and he would just sort of listen. And, and then at one point I was on a leadership development workshop through work and it, and it really just struck me how much I liked what I did. I was willing to work hard to find the balance because I love my children and I didn't want them to feel compromised by our decision um, in our careers. So, you know, that was that was an important thing to think about. And, and I think a lot of women do struggle with finding that balance. And the thing um, I did twice is I actually when my third child was born, I was willing to choose a new job to be able to work three days a week because right at that point in my life, I thought, you know, I'll figure out the career when he's a little older, but for now it'd be great. And I was very fortunate because my boss at the time said, do you really want to take that other job or do you just want to work part-time? And I said, yeah, I just really want to work part-time. And so I was very fortunate, you know, that he basically sponsored me within the organization to say, we're going to shape her job a little smaller, maybe fewer direct reports or whatever we decided at the time so that I could do the job and work from home two or the three days a week or, you know, something like that. And it, But we set it up so it was very predictable. Everybody knew when they could reach me and everybody knew when they couldn't reach me. So I think, you know, also figuring that out uh, was very important to me. And then a few years later, there was a new job opportunity came along and I said, okay, I want it and I'm ready to go back. And I would offer to women that working part-time, that taking a break ultimately probably won't affect your career and be comfortable knowing that. Yeah, no, that's important because a lot of people hesitate because they don't know how it's going to have a long-term impact. Will you not have enough opportunities to go back to? So that's important, knowing that, yes, things will be there for you when you're ready for them. Absolutely. You also mentioned, you know, your manager sponsored you. So sponsors have a very critical role to play in anybody's career, especially more so in a woman's career. So sponsors and mentors, did you have those and how have they helped? And if I am a new person coming in, what should I look for when I'm trying to find a mentor or a sponsor? Yeah, you know, sometimes it happens spontaneously, you know, maybe your boss or a coworker. In my case, you know, it was very interesting. When I went to graduate school, we had to do rotations in labs, and then you put in your top three choices, and then they would do a whole matching process. I actually didn't get my top choice, which at the time was very disappointing, but it ended up being that the person who ended up being my advisor 
advisor was an amazing sponsor, you know, and I look back and think I might, I likely could have been more successful with him as my advisor than I might have been with my first choice, who would have been, you know, fine. And, um, but every, you know, all the labs were doing interesting science, but, you know, he sponsored me, you know, knew I wanted to go into academics and I was going off to postdoc and he's like, I think you should apply for this job now. And just, you know, if you get it, you can just tell your postdoc, you can tell them you're still going to go on postdoc. They'll be perfectly happy. I mean, and just those things. So that sort of happened by circumstance, not even realizing and knowing, I guess, in some ways that we were what to look for and what to think about with who might be a sponsor. You know, you really need to try and identify the people who not only give you feedback that's useful, but sort of invite you to the table. You know, another individual I just remember probably being new in management. And so we tend to sit in the back row and wait to be asked. And the individual just, you know, slid his chair over and he's like, come up here and sit at the table. And uh, it was wonderful to have that type of sponsorship. And I think for women who are looking, you know, watch the individuals. Um, it's not going to be every leader. I hope more and more leaders realize and, and help with that mentoring and sponsoring of people. Um, but watching how people behave and how they treat others is a really good guide. And be comfortable that you're not going to connect with everyone you might want to have a mentor relationship with. And that's okay. I actually recently was uh, given a mentor for a different opportunity. I was trying to get involved in a lovely, talented, you know, great career individual. But right from the start, it didn't really, I wasn't sure why they volunteered to be a mentor because it didn't really feel like they were ready to be a mentor and there was no follow-up. And what was interesting at that point, then I was like, oh, that's too bad. It didn't work out. And then an, another uh, person who I'd met in the program encouraged me, well, go back and ask them to give you a new mentor and tell them that it didn't work. You know, because at first I was sort of like, okay, they gave it to me. It didn't work out. And so I just accepted it. Then I was like, oh, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? So I went back and I said, really sorry, this didn't work. I don't, you know, and we talked a little bit about that. And then they gave me another individual who, unbelievable, just the different level of energy. And it, it really was apparent to me that the second person really wanted to be a mentor and a sponsor because the person was immediately like, let me see your CV. Okay, here's these five people you got to talk to and I'm going to introduce you. And that was amazing and a real good lesson for me in trying to help and sponsor others. So that gives you a little insight into got to work, your goals, what you want to accomplish and what the individual thinks they want to accomplish as a sponsor have to be aligned for it to work. And it's okay when it doesn't and go off and find somebody else. You are also very engaged with Women in Bio. You're the chair for the Connecticut chapter. Can you talk a little bit about what that organization is? How did you get involved? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, as we our lives and our careers progress, I, I've always tried to be a volunteer and very active, probably many things more focused on my kids as they were growing. And so now with the opportunity, the youngest going off to college, I sort of started looking around and thinking about 
about where I could contribute that I thought would be meaningful. And so really came back to thinking about helping other women in progressing their career because I knew it would also help me in turn because it's rewarding. There had been a New York-based chapter and I live in Connecticut and for a little while I worked in New York. So I joined that thinking, oh, this would be great to connect with other women who have different experiences. But I never quite made it because at the end of my day, I really was still looking to get on the train and going home. And then some wonderful women in Connecticut came together um, and said, listen, we want to make this happen. And they started doing a few events. um, And then they put out like a broad survey through their networks to women in Connecticut and say, listen, we're going to start this chapter. Will people take the survey and see what you'll volunteer for? Also talked to a, a dear friend who I'd collaborated with a lot. And I said, hey, let's get involved. Let's do this. She's like, sure. Let, you know, she wasn't quite sure on her time commitment, but I, I was comfortable with a reasonable time commitment. So I put in for a few things, one of which was the chair in case they, you know, were looking and still needed someone. Because again, I think it's hard for us to go like, okay, I'd like to interview to be the chair. You know, it's always that not so comfortable, but I thought, again, what can I do? So it worked out. We went through an interview process and there's an amazing steering committee of 24 of us. And I, um, just since we launched, uh, we launched in April, but we really sort of started in February. For me, it's been terrific. Um, we're about 150 members. And and what I really like about women in biotech is that it starts with middle school and high school girls, young women, and trying to engage them, mentor them, get them to understand all their different opportunities, some hands-on experience, but also give them an opportunity to think about, we have something called uh, YWIB, Young Women in Biotech Ambassadors, where they can apply and get that position and think about science for high school girls in their state. Um, It also provides information for teachers to help them know how to mentor and try and keep young women engaged in STEM as well as parents. So I I like the idea it starts there with with helping to keep and get women into STEM. And it really goes all through different aspects of the careers with different parts of the programming and mentorship, peer mentorship, as well as executive mentorship, and then all the way to a program called uh, Boardroom Ready. And they also have an entrepreneurial program. So it's really this continuum of support and a lot of volunteer opportunities. Any member can get involved with everything that we do. So this has been great. And what's also been neat is connecting with the other network of women in life science organizations in Connecticut, whether it's company-based, academic institution-based. And our goal is to really, because we're a small state, we sort of have this opportunity to knit together a broader community. Hopefully we'll really help the women and in turn the state of the growing biosciences in the state of Connecticut. What a wonderful initiative. I think that's so commendable. And in such a short time, such a huge undertaking, all the success to you. I have amazing people that I'm working with and they've brought some great themes to the table that I love. You know, basically we're gonna continue until somebody stops us and then we're still gonna, you know, continue as well. And the other thing, you know, cause sometimes it's like, who do we know and how do we do that? And, you know, we sort of decided, well, 
we weren't going to get let fear of the unknown get in our way of figuring this out. We'll see, hopefully. And what I said to the chapter when we kicked off, my hope for them is that they each create at least one new contact this year that becomes a friend, becomes a mentor, somehow impacts their career. And networking is so important. As you said, you know, everything starts with network. If you need a widespread approach, networks are the best way to do it. How has networking worked for you and what does it really mean to you? What would you advise young women just coming out of college, when should they start building their networks and how to go about it? Oh boy, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Huh? I think it was a, a bit of time before I started networking. I you know, worked at Pfizer, which was a big organization, and maybe I didn't really call it networking at the time, even though like we had this group of women friends that we ran together and we ate lunch together. But at the time, I didn't really think about it as networking. But it was a, a great community of Pfizer um, and the site head at the time was a wonderful woman, Nancy Hudson. You know, I don't know if she was the first leader site head for the Groton, but she really brought together and helped create, I think, a women's leadership group. And we met, and that really was the start of networking. Probably was then my second job where networking really began because it was about then beyond keeping in touch with the people that I knew really well, but keeping in touch with others that been involved with maybe in different ways and just the importance of once you get to working in Cambridge and Boston area, you run into so many people. And I think it's sort of advanced that knowledge and understanding as in some ways how social media has advanced and, and enabled networking, I think. Um, but I also went to, there was a, an event that was sponsored by Mass Bio for Women. And it was probably when LinkedIn, very experienced, so that I have a lot, lot of years of looking back and LinkedIn, and they gave this great talk and and had us practice thinking about what we wanted our LinkedIn profile to say and how we should present ourselves to other and starting to create our brands and our elevator speech, which then enabled you to be very comfortable in new situations, starting to reach out and have these conversations. And uh, our chapter just did a first networking event and we thought, what are some of the things that we wanna tell these women? And part of it is thinking about preparing to network work is good. You know, what are some questions? Think about in any situation, being a good listener and engaging others as you're listening to them and looking to find something where you're connected, being comfortable. Not everybody's going to become your new best friend and some people that you network with, you may never talk to them again, but you may also take away something interesting. So I think starting early, looking at LinkedIn, what people put out there, what you think is interesting about others. So if you're comfortable in college, and, and it is, um, I have to be honest, I think you have to also appreciate being, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. And I think it's going to be much tougher for introverts, but it's probably just as important. And that's where the whole thinking about read some articles that give some great tip on networking, you know, some of which is having these questions and a little bit of a persona that you want to be when you network and, and getting to know others and maintaining your networks. It's hard and it's time consuming, but it can be well worthwhile. I recently reached out to somebody after 10 years and it was just so wonderful to reconnect. Um, 
um, and that individual is working in an area that I wanted some insight on. And it was sort of like, hey, it's been a long time, but I remember how wonderful your work are and I see this is what you're doing. And it was terrific because they wrote back and like, great, let's have a conversation. People like to network and, you know, people that you've met along the way are likely going to be happy uh, to respond and help. What are some of the skill sets in terms of, um, you know, soft skills that would really help us take us ourselves to the next level? Yeah, I think you may have talked about it a little bit in the things that women aren't as comfortable with. I think that being confident about your skills, I think we often second guess ourselves. So I think it's that awareness and watching and listening to others. Women also are very uncomfortable about putting out their accomplishments. I absolutely feel the same way, but I sometimes have these conversations and I listen to people and I realize, okay, in the past five minutes, I've heard about that person's accomplishments for everything they've done. And it hasn't been offensive to me. It's somewhat been interesting. Sometimes it's a little offensive, like, okay, great. But on the other hand, it's a good learning tool to think about, okay, how do I and when do I use that bragging and that accomplishments. Especially when you're interviewing, you need to make sure they know what you achieved. And it's wonderful that we appreciate we work in teams, but I would say make sure you can talk about what the team did together, but be very clear what you led, what you did, and not everything has to be part of what you did as a team. And that's been an important learning. So I think that confidence, uh, you know, we also hear about this. If you look at an upcoming job, you know, women definitely definitely feel like I have to have done everything before they'll apply versus men who maybe have done at least one thing or maybe three things. Um, So develop that awareness. And for me, what I say to so many young women, know what you want to do and ask. I think something I've shared previously with others is, you know, when I first got into the industry, I felt like if I work really hard, people are going to recognize that I worked really hard and that'll help me. And it does. Working hard and, and having something to show will help you, but you do have to balance it by asking for what they you want because no one can read your mind. They will not know what you want unless you ask and own your own career. That is like so important. It's great to have mentors and sponsors, but again, you need to be able to say, this is what I want to do. I want to work for this kind of company. I want to achieve this kind of level of influence or impact and figure that out and be comfortable I think with that. So it is that ask in so many ways that we uh, need to learn to be more comfortable with. Excellent advice. Okay, so on a completely different note, so you're an avid skier and you own a Christmas tree farm. <laughs> Let's break that down. <laughs> How did that come about? Well, um, like I said, I was involved with sports in high school. And uh, so one of my best friends was a skier. And so it's like, oh, skiing, that seems fun. Let's go and do it. I mean, she was... I have to say, at the national racing level, like she would go off to Colorado and Utah. And then she'd come home and be like, hey, let's go to Vermont. And I was like, I don't know how to ski. And so she's like, come on, we'll rent your skis, come along. And she's like, this is how you learn how to ski. We go up to the top of the mountain and we just take every single trail down. And by the end of the day, you'll be fine. (laughs) So I did that. I think I was a little wet and bruised, but uh, decided that I thought it was terrific fun. And what's been neat with skiing 
it, it's continued during my life. My children all had to learn to ski when they were younger. And my husband, who had given up skiing, convinced him that he should take it up again. But with skiing, I found now a, a group of women skiers, and we do something. We go every year for uh, we go for a women's alpine adventure every winter. Um, and it's turned out to be just, uh, you know, each person may bring a different friend each year. And we've then created this interesting network of women and uh, have fun skiing together. So um, it was my through sports and my friend in high school, but uh, it's really just getting out there. And when you're skiing, I just feel like there's a peace sometimes on the snow and it sort of just takes you away from some everything else a little while. That sounds so exciting. So I didn't know skiing either. The first time I wanted to go, one of my friends broke her leg and that was it. But I appreciate people who do that. So that that's awesome. About the Christmas tree farm. <laughs> Yes, that came about through graduate school where um, where I met my husband and um, we were in the same group, started dating. And then at Christmas time, he said, oh, you know, we have a Christmas tree farm and we need help. You know, do you want to come and make a little extra money on a Saturday or Sunday, take a break from being in lab? And so I said, sure, why not? And uh, so it went from, went from there. And I always joke that before we got married right after Christmas because we wanted to use all the leftover greens that people didn't buy from the Christmas tree farm. So we brought them to the local florist and she created amazing, lovely flowers mixed with all of our greens. But our joke always was before we could get married, I had to be able to name all the different types of Christmas trees on the farm and know a little bit about each of their characteristics. But it's been uh, great. My father-in-law started the tree farm. This is our 2021 the 75th anniversary and uh, my husband just has taken over the whole business so and our kids have all learned to plant prune take care of the trees cut them down and bale them and uh, so um, I can do those things as well and learn and tie trees onto cars so that's a, a whole another interesting story of watching people try to figure out how to tie their tree on the car but congratulations on the platinum jubilee like 75 years is a milestone it is and my father-in-law at 85 actually I just turned 86 amazing he's down here cutting still so involved and so that's what I sort of see for us we're going to be scientists and Christmas tree farmers <laughs> as a family what kind of values have you tried to imbibe in your kids I know they all cook clean do everything by themselves <laughs> which I am super impressed by the way that's incredible. You know, I think uh, my parents gave to me, find what you like to do, what you're passionate about, and go with that. Don't worry about, you know, somebody expecting a certain thing, what you find, because you're going to work hard and loving it is so, so important. And I think another key thing in our family is always telling the truth, that integrity of who you are and how you present yourself. And this came from my mother who said, if you tell the truth, you're never going to have to remember which lie you told to who. So um, that's been something that I passed on. The other, another key value I've tried with my children is financial responsibility. Never spend more than you can on your credit card than you can pay off in one month. And the thing that all parents tell their children, wear sunscreen. That's a good one. In closing, any comments for our listeners that you would want to leave them with? I would say just remember 
are there are so many paths that one can take. And even though you may think you're starting out in one area, I went in a lot of different directions, but be comfortable with it and be comfortable that along the way you might find something that you're passionate about that's completely different. And it's okay and sort of go with it. I know it's always got to be a balance because there's many factors one has to consider and maybe it's something you do later on in your career. But just as what I, you know, learn to make lemonade with lemons, if that's what you get, but really be passionate about and be confident and please ask for what you want. All great pieces of advice. Thank you so much, Susan. It was an honor having you here with us today and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you for that. Thank you for inviting me.